0: Welcome to episode three of Call Us Crazy.
1: We are in a very nice studio, ready to talk about Call Us Crazy. It's just
0: like a new life. Everyone (laughs) listening is thinking, is this the same podcast, of which the first was a live echoey mess, and the second involved (laughs) Skype? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is the one and only Call Us Crazy with Chelsea Nevin, But in our new souped-up podcast environment with our new producer, Kent Wilhelm. Give it up, Thank give you. it Thanks. up for Kent. We can clap for him. We can clap for him. We're uh, we're squatting in his uh, day job residence, getting trashed in his in the, a conference room. Unless
1: that's something we're not supposed to mention, but I don't. I mean, I don't think they're listening to this.
0: <laughs> or maybe they are. Maybe they'll uh, give us free goodies. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. We'll reward you for it. All right, let's get straight into our guest. Yes. Sitting beside us is none other, none other. Woo, guys! I was watching the Steelers game today. I'm several in. Jenny, Jenny Jaffe. Hello. Yay! You. Wait, hey did guys. I already say it wrong from two seconds ago? Oh, no, that was good. It's Jaffe. That was
2: solid, right? Jenny Jaffe. Yeah. Jenny Jaffe. See, we're on it's our a stronger s- A.
1: We're on our second episode today that we mispronounced the guest name. Facebook or call links and not yeah.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, because this is the first so last week we talked to um, Hannah Michaels and who we were meeting at at that time of the podcast. And now Jenny, this
2: is the first time we're uniting. Do you guys find me on Twitter or how did you guys Come to find me. <laughs> well, I've
0: been watching you for weeks now. Oh goodness! You might have noticed when a bush moves or the wind blows. No, I honestly—that makes sense. I think you're like now. It's all coming together. Yeah, that's just, I, That I, was I why Jenny, that person dressed, dressed as the wind can It's falling.
1: progressively less creepy that you said that and not me. <laughs> I feel like I don't. I, well, yeah.
2: So thank God.
0: I want. I want to say that Evan, in some capacity, brought you. To our attention because of a project, and we'll get into it more. But one of your uh, many projects is Project You Are Okay, yes, which we love, and I believe Evan, do you th- was that what it was? Yes. Did, had you heard of Project You're Okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. okay. Some
2: might say it's like my only project right now. <laughs> but it a great
1: is, project. Thank and a, you. a big project.
0: Thank well, you. Let's do, I mean, just a little bit of that off the top.
2: Sure. Everyone can find you at Jenny. At, at Jenny Jaffe yes. on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, and that's J-A-F-F-E. Mm-hmm. J-E-N-N-Y-J-A-F-F-E. There and we then, go. Uh, Project You Are Okay is on like all social media. Project You Are Okay, the letters You Are Okay, and at Project Okay dot org. So I want to get in the arc of our story today,
0: Jenny. Mm-hmm. And call us crazy. I want to get. I feel like it builds to Project You Are Okay. So first and foremost, yes. As always, we want to know what is your particular brand of crazy, and we of course use crazy in the most complimentary of terms yeah, on no, our I'm, podcast.
2: Uh, Go I'm, for it. Uh, I'm fine with that. (laughs) Um, uh, I am, uh, you know, I'm actually in just, this is from the outside. I'm a huge advocate of, um, of people, uh, using language to take back words that have been, you know, used, uh, in a derogatory sense for them, which Which is why one of the sort of like more controversial things, or something that people have like kind of asked me about a lot, is my use of the term mental illness when talking about Project You Are Okay and the people involved in it, and just my reasoning behind it is the only reason to not use the term is if you're afraid of the term. And Amen. Uh, J.K. Rowling uh, once said, "Fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself," and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let mental illness be this country's Voldemort. So, uh, well, well said, Jenny. You. You. Here, here. So, um, Kent is drinking to that. Thank you, Kent. <laughs> so um I guess uh if what you're asking is my diagnosis yeah. uh, i uh, uh have always struggled significantly with anxiety. um I mm-hmm. have a panic disorder and generalized anxiety disorder uh, I also have um o c d which was the most prevalent diagnosis for me uh through That's- most of my um, adolescence and young adulthood. And then, um, as sort of a side effect and maybe as a diagnosis of its own, uh, has been uh, depression. So, uh, that's where I'm coming from. So <laughs> rich tapestry uh, as to, always.
1: Cause you said that the OCD was most prevalent and that's oh, yeah. really what I've grown up with clinically. And y- it, it it feels like a sort of a buzz phrase now. People are like, "Oh, my little OCD," and I'm like, "I get
2: so OCD not... about that." Yeah, it's and like, I, "Oh my god, you right. I, I, you fixate I, on certain
1: until you've lost sleep or yeah. blood or whatever." You know, it's one of those things where you want to be like, "You don't say you're a little anorexic," or "You don't say you're a little." bipolar why say you're a little O
2: C D well I think that there's yeah. a so colloquial meaning have. of O C D that's sort of a Absolutely. complete misnomer because right, they, right. there's this idea that O C D is um, is all about cleanliness and it's all about sort of like uh, people associate germophobia with it, which is something I also I mean have. it's part of it but it's, it's part of it. Not but it's like thing. these are all these sort of small slices that um, are sort of standalone symptoms within this much larger uh, puzzle. It can and,
1: include any type of obsessive behavior that doesn't necessarily mean germs, right? Even though it could include that, it doesn't necessarily mean any number of things. And people, you know, people, I, I feel like tend to think like, "Well, I, I I need things to be in order on my work desk." Well, that's not right necessarily. Yeah, and, and that's definitely not
2: OCD, and that's definitely not the worst part of OCD by a definitely long not, stretch. No. And um, I think. One of the things I've talked about this a lot uh this is like pretty much um one of the things I'm like most vocal about is sort of my experience of o c d um and the fact that I didn't get like a proper diagnosis until I was in my teens um and at that point, I was given a sort of checklist like an o c d checklist. And I can't tell you how relieved I was because I thought it was just this connect, like collection of random scary things about wow. me. Because it does feel really scary. I mean, it's really scary it, living I, inside absolutely. an obsessive compulsive brain. And um, some of the things they don't tell you about are that you get sort of unwanted imagery. Yes. Um, you oh. have compulsions to do things that you know you would never do. Like,
1: intru—you have intrusive thoughts.
2: That's intr- yeah, intrusive thoughts exactly. And so the sort of external stuff. And I'm going to actually take off this bracelet because I can feel that it's probably going to be uh, rattling around right now. <laughs> Jiggle, jingle and, uh And so for sound reasons, I'm taking those off. that's um, nice work can I gesticulate, which is a which is a problem when I have <laughs> jing- jingly bracelets on uh, on mic. So. Um, uh yeah, it's so it's the intrusive thoughts and then sort of your response to that is to do what you can to keep your external world
1: right, together. Right. And it's so part of a yeah. control what I can you control what you don't know you
2: can't control. Right. And this sort of magical thinking idea that if I uh perseverate on something en- enough, if I keep thinking about one thought, it will eventually uh not be scary or like I will have some control over it. And right. that's just not the case. And It's something I deal with to this day, and it's something that you know I'll always be dealing with to a certain extent. But it is so much more manageable than it used to be.
1: I literally now feel like, in the time allotted, I still need to talk to you after the show, yeah, because (laughs) I feel like you're describing my entire life growing up, and not you getting it until I was in my late teens and finally trying to see. That's when you were diagnosed
0: later on, too.
1: I, it was I I, because that. I, I didn't know, and but I knew there was something that like why aren't other people worried about all this stuff
2: yeah and I, well, it's even so even within the sort of like generalized anxiety and panic disorder, like those were things I expressed to, and I was really lucky I got in treatment from the from the time I was really young, like um I have always been in therapy because I have. I got ridiculously lucky with my situation. I have parents who are very understanding. I have, yeah. uh, my family had the means to provide me specialized treatment. Like that's not a world most people are lucky enough to live in. And that's a great
1: perspective to have because people sometimes, I think, take for granted the fact that being able to conquer or not even conquer, but just at least deal with like recognizing
2: privilege in a right, way—that's right. what we were it's, kind of talking yeah. about that last week—and well, just being how, recognize your situation. A lot of the work that I do at URK, okay, which we can again get to later, is um, about letting people tell their stories in their own words, because the like um, the experience of mental illness and the experience of oppression around mental illness exists at the same intersections as any other kind of oppression. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in this country with understanding why there are these huge gaps in, uh, in, uh, mental health care availability. And, um, you know, and that's across poverty lines, across race lines. And it's, um, something that I, as a white woman do not have the, I, and shouldn't be like the, like preeminent voice in that conversation. But I think what I can do is provide a platform, uh, from which other people can tell their stories, which are necessary and not necessarily being heard. So that's one of the like most important things about you're okay to me. Um, And also I I think it's harder for men. And I think this is one of those places where feminism is super important in this conversation (laughs) is that I think there's some like toxic masculinity stuff wrapped up in like men not wanting to talk about their feelings that's interesting in sure
0: because of all the things i think the one thing we as women are afforded the opportunity is to do talk is talk about feelings talk about feelings and be vulnerable and for guys it is a lot more stigmatized that's oh. a really good point evan what do well, you feel no, about? i was
1: gonna say well thank you but uh, yeah no <laughs> i feel like uh, yeah it's one of those things where i feel like i tried to hide it from my parents for so long all the weird things i was doing not knowing that it was obsessive compulsive but then like my dad uh I feel like it was one of those things where I was like, if I tell him he's gonna think less of me, and that's I guess where that's coming from. That like if my sister said that, it'd be like, Oh, well, yeah, you have some issues. But with me, it'd be like, Okay, what's Man wrong up? With you?
0: Like, what's going on yeah. and we should even cause our listeners know, but we should tell you, Jenny, if we haven't so yes, Evan's uh main issue that he claims is OCD. And my main is Tourette, but also OCD, which I—I I mean, we've all obviously talked oh, yeah, about absolutely. Evan and I love, but my OCD, thankfully, somehow—I mean, has because obviously with anything, it's sort of a waxing and a waning, right? And it's more manageable at times in your life and less manageable. And when I was younger, OCD is actually the only uh, chemical imbalance I've ever been on medication for, and somehow over the course of the years, it did wane enough to where it's far more manageable to where and then my like trick kind of overtook but so we're, we're all in it let's all hold hands in an ocd circle what's funny
1: because yeah, every because <laughs> people will say that they have a little bit of ocd but then they'll if they encounter you and you're clinically diagnosed they'll be like well but you're in therapy or on pills why aren't you completely better and sure. it's like that's not how that works well, i
2: i think that one of the one of the other sort of, so this is like, I'm not coming on here to like, be like, here are all my platforms. But one we of them, one well, of them is, the one of them is that I think it's a problem to be talking about cures. Cause I think that there are ways I think what we should be talking about is making life manageable because I think if you're telling especially young people like promising them that on the other side of this journey they will never feel any of these symptoms ever again you're lying to them and I'm sure for some people that that's true I'm you know speaking I'm not trying to speak for anybody's experience except my own but I know Mm -hmm. it was very frustrating for me to feel like I got out of high school alive which was a miracle I got out of um you know, I sort of got out of some of the really bad habits and patterns I was in. Some of the I, you know, my um mental well-being evened out quite a bit. Um, and then it was very frustrating that a couple of years later, like a couple of years were really good, and then I started getting panic attacks again. And I started feeling some of the OCD symptoms again. And I was so mad at myself. And even today, I had a really, really tough day today. I had a really I think, you know, when there is Bad stuff in the media when the world seems a little out of control, I start to get some OCD stuff because it's like, well, sure, the world, a bunch of things are happening out of my control.
1: There's stress and there's the emotional, like, just attack of everything that's going on.
2: Yes. And I know, like, I know intellectually my thinking about it over and over and over again is not going to help anyone. And I know that that's going to only drive me completely crazy. It's only going to like make me not sleep at night. It's going to make me no fun to be around. Like I know all those things intellectually, but I'm really stressed. And so my OCD is just really bad today. And like, I know it's OCD because I know it's not, I'm not worried about what can I do to help? I'm not worried about like, wow, I feel so bad for those families right now. I'm worried about things that I'm making up and I know I'm making them up.
1: And that's just it. That's the thing about with OCD. If you feel like you've solved one thing, you move on to another thing. And there's how is this going to affect other people, and how is this going to affect me? And it goes, it goes oh, back Oh, yeah, well, because you
2: can. It's it's amazing. And my brain, like, as soon as it puts down one worry, it starts going like, okay, well, what else do we have exactly, in here? And going exactly. through the file, and it's like, and it's a never-ending thing because right. we're humans in the world. You could be worrying about like, geopolitics, or you could be worrying about work, or you could be worrying about your family. Like, you could be worrying about... There's so many things to be worried about. It's a magical oh, world. Yeah.
1: It, well, and it's like... No, but it's like... And I might be using it wrong, but it's like Murphy's Law, where it's like, okay, everything's okay. I've thought it out. Okay, but now there's new things. And it's and never like going to be perfect. But thinking it
2: out isn't going to help right, you. Right, exactly.
1: Like, You're yeah. just finding out more things to worry about. And so
0: should we... Or since you're the first uh O C D guest on Call Us Crazy. Which and we
1: can also talk about other things. I realize no, I no, just no. got really wrapped up no, in the No, OCD no, no. I, I love, love it.
2: it. That's like the I love like the we point can talk of this podcast I've is to get too. is to get excited <laughs> and passionate. Real quick, I, I just wanna I wanna say really quickly, like that one of the things that I think speaking about intrusive thoughts and that sort of thing, people don't associate that with OCD, which is why it's scary to talk about. I think I was really afraid of telling any doctors the thoughts that were popping into my head because I didn't want them to like arrest me.
1: Oh my God, thank you. Yes, that actually means so much to me because I literally, I have found myself since I've been seeing therapists holding back Mm -hmm. and almost like, it's like homework where you have to come in and bring something to the table. But I was like, well- if I tell them what I all this other stuff, they they're gonna lock me up. So let me just make up a few things and see what they say about that. Yeah,
2: or it's like it's a lot easier to talk about how nurse how scared of germs I am and stuff than it is to say like, hey, I can't get the thought that I'm going to and I don't really want to talk about it on the air necessarily, but no, like, no.
0: well, that was gonna be my question, and obviously I don't want anyone to say anything that they're not comfortable with, but in the spirit of sort of normalizing and destigmatizing and anyone listening feeling like. I mean, I'm, I'm not, not so alone. No, I mean, what, would we all like, would, would we all be willing to sort of like articulate the uh, intrusive thoughts and like our OCD compulsions, anything you're comfortable with? I mean, you know I just used to. to
2: have and I like don't know how else to say it. I just used to have these sort of like this fear that I was going to do something violent yeah. either to myself or to someone else. And I'm a very nonviolent person, but it would be like I would be like, I'm not I can't be alone in this room with this knife because I'm either going to, and I mean, it was different when I was having suicidal ideation, but like when I, even when I wasn't like this idea, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I can't be left alone in this, like I can't be, have like, there's a room full of like other students around me. Like, what if I just, you know, I don't. I, and like a- it would and just. You, be, and you
1: know you're not, gonna that, know you, not going to do that, but deep to. down, exactly. You but my and br- I, that's
2: the scariest thing my brain can come up with. Yeah. Or like I'd feel the I'd feel the impulse to be like I should shout fire right now, or like I should, like just stuff where it's like I know I'm not going to do any of this. My brain is scaring me by telling me I might be capable of doing Thank this. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And but uh, and this is Super why uh, and because this is a bit I do, but it took me a really long time to actually come out with this because it was so ridiculous. And I'll just say it, that when I was in college and I had to go to bed with clean hands because if my hands were dirty, somebody could break in with a baby and stick my dirty fingers in the baby's mouth and the baby will get sick and die. And I call it's my baby finger death joke. That's and it's classic. absolutely it's ridiculous. Classic. No, I, no, no, I but, hear you. But, I, that's, but that literally was something that I would go to, because after you like, get past... Okay, my my car doors are locked. The stove's off, and then you come. Well, what else could happen? Well, yeah, your brain and, and, has and, to go somewhere and else. And with OCD, you're like, okay, it might be one in a billion, but prove me wrong. And you don't know. Have- like
2: I can't hold this baby on this third floor uh, near the on this like third floor because I'm going to throw the baby out the window, and I don't want to throw the baby out the window. Right. I would never do that. I love children.
1: Everything is against the odds, but with OCD. <laughs> The odds don't make sense. You're just. Well,
2: you're making up your own odds. Yeah, exactly. And and there's no amount of statistics anyone can tell you. It's kind of comforting because I feel like I watched the news. I like today I was watching the news, right? And I realized I was coming up with all kinds of fears for myself about like what was going to happen next. And then I realized I'm so scared. So I had this idea in my head, right? I'm not trying to put ideas that are scary in other people's heads. I'm saying this to make a point. I had this idea like, well, ISIS is going to come back and they're going to release a mega flu in New York and it's uncurable and everybody's going to get it. And that's like going to be the next big like thing. And it's going to be like this, like basically everybody's going to die from this like mysterious disease that I've just made up that I know statistically, like ISIS does not have that capability. (laughs) I know that's probably not even a thing that somebody could do, but I'm so worried about that. But that by the time I realized like, oh, the attacks they're capable of are like the attacks in Paris. Like, I'm not less scared, but I'm like, that's not as scary to me as the thing I've just spent three hours being convinced was true. You can't
1: unprove anything. Exactly. Seriously, and I get that, because that's just... With OCD, it's like one in a billion is still one in a billion.
2: And that's the only part you can think of. Right. And that was
0: when, when my OCD... my Compulsive thoughts when I was younger always centered around s- someone I love going to hell, essentially. That was my big one, which is so. Were you so- raised religious? Well, that's what was so strange because I was raised Catholic, but I was never, I mean, like the story my parents always loved to tell was I was like three and a half and, you know, walked into my parents' room and was like, this God thing. I'm skeptical, you know,
1: (laughs) and and let's
0: talk about Santa after that. They're like, Jesus, (laughs) go back to bed. You're three, you know? So I was always from a young age, like they raised me, my mom raised me Catholic, but I was always like a little bit skeptical. So I, I wasn't like, I went to church and everything, but I wasn't religious. And that's what made those particular obsessive thoughts so it was strange that that's what it manifested around, but then it made it even more so like, listen, you guys talk about the, you know, statistically and like, you can't disprove it. That was even more maddening to me. Cause it was, I mean, I definitely also had the lower level of obsessive thoughts of like, okay, something bad is going to happen, you know, right now to me or someone I love, like they're going to fall down the stairs or going to whatever, whatever, if I don't touch this thing 17 times in a row. But also the majority of it was something bad happening. Like, in the forever, in the afterlife, in the infinity, which talk about not being able to prove. And obviously, you know, you well, know logically, right. but I was like, but you don't know. But just in the off chance, I'm going to brush my teeth oh, one yeah, more no. time.
1: Well, that's the, the other thing too, is that I, and this is not trying to alienate anybody from anything, but a lot of, you think of ritualistic things with religion and it's kind of like, this is collective OCD. This is like, oh, you have to do this or... Bad things will happen. It
2: gets tied up. They get tied up together a lot. One thing. Um. Uh. Well, for oh, well, first I just want to say real quick. Well, of like the the reason you're, that anxiety latches onto things you can't control is because if you could control it, you wouldn't have to be scared of it.
0: Right. Right. And
2: like, it's not scary to be afraid of something that you can do something about. Sure. It's scary to do, be afraid of something you can't do something about. And your anxiety is so smart. Your anxiety is always like going to be that little step ahead yeah. of you and you have to like it's hard in this day and age to parse out what's a real fear what's something my anxiety is telling. You basically
1: me. outsmart yourself with your anxiety my
2: anxiety is always going to be a couple steps ahead of me and it's it's frustrating but um one thing about Uh, The religious aspect of it is that um, I read a thing recently about scrupulosity, which is basically about people who think they need to come to confession like a million times a week Mm. because they have to like empty their brain of the impure thoughts they're having. And I think I had that to an extent and realized I was sort of having that and I, I wasn't raised religious, but... I've been in therapy so long that I realized I have a very hard time not going to therapy because I think in my head now I'm like, I have to tell people what I'm thinking. And I think in part, this is probably why I like Twitter so much. There's a part of it that's like, I have to continuously <laughs> no, yeah. be like so saying nice. what I'm thinking because the thoughts in my head like need to like, and need that's, so yeah. I don't know. I'm just, you guys have caught me on a, on a very uh, earnest night. I mean, I'm always earnest, but you guys have caught me on like a particularly... Chilled I out, got out of van in my system all so I, so. I,
1: I guess I have to ask, like, so does your partner know what is going on, and because I feel like every time I've had a relationship, I've had to be like, all right, by the way, this is what I do. It sounds crazy, but just go with it.
2: he's amazing, he's like he's so understanding and um has been. Like he's just super helpful. And I think one thing that's helpful is we have anxieties that are totally not the same kind of anxieties. Like he mm-hmm. has more anxiety about things he like practical things. Uh, and I have anxiety about things that are totally impractical. And I think that's great because right. we can see each other's thing and be like, Well, you don't have to be worried about that. You can do something about that. And he could say, Well, you can't do something about that. So you don't have to worry about it. It's very it's really helpful. I think that's
1: the best thing is when, when you don't have about the same We were the talking last about episode, that earlier yeah. that like you you don't necessarily want to have the same thing because while you might get it, you're just going to be on a downward spiral together. You you want something where you could introduce each other and help each other about whatever problems you're having.
2: I also, like, my OCD overall is so much better. It is so, it, it is in such a good place right now. Like, I, it's a, kind of a bad couple days or so right now. You know, it goes in and out. right. On the whole, so much better than it's been in the past. So right now I feel like I'm in a pretty good time and I feel like I'm – my ability to not like ritualize so much is pretty good and I'm really like noticing that. But it's funny the holdovers that I have and things where it's like I don't remember that that's where it came from but like I don't like touching doorknobs I still don't like. I it's still a thing. I, I no, know. these what, headphones what are right other... now. I'm
1: probably gonna I'm, power I, up. I,
2: I, I had that thought before I put them I on. It's and well, it's funny because the amount of things I go through in a mental checklist, like at any given time at any given time, I'm like running through a checklist of a million things in my head and it's like, it's it's exhausting. no wonder I'm tired at the end of every day. It's like, I don't realize how many things I'm thinking about that other people aren't. I know exactly where every exit is. I know exactly like where, like if a fire started, I know how I'm getting out. Like I I, uh, will make judgments on whether or not I can go in a certain elevator. I know that things have been touching certain things. What's safe to touch? What's safe to eat? What's safe to drink? And it's it's very exhausting. And I realize like, I would give anything to live in the head of somebody who doesn't do all that for a day. I
1: always like to joke that, like, you don't want to be inside my head because no. if you were, you would not like it. Like, I wish I, I was like, super
2: dumb. I yeah, wish no, I was exactly. <laughs> dumb. I, w- I, I, I
1: you wish that... Say that joke. No, no, but I hear what you're saying. Like, I wish that I wasn't overthinking everything because it... it like we've talked about, if the... You get past one OCD thing, then you your mind creates another thing.
2: But I do it so quickly now; it's all on a subconscious level. It's not like I have like I'm just doing it. It's an undercurrent. It's an undercurrent. That's why like every time people ask me about
0: like, oh, what are your Tourette things? Like I never notice, and I start listing them. Like how do I get anything done? I don't know how I live my life because they're so subconscious and they're so instinctual, and it's just it's it's exhausting to be it's on a, top of it it's or a, just probably. a
2: low rumble undercurrent and in your brain. like concert. new things like like last year i or a couple of years ago actually and this is one of those places where like this was kind of early on in my relationship and um solidified like oh this is a good person for me because he like calms me down and is like you know can be there for me and uh in ways that I need and I can be there for him and you know, all this stuff. But one of the things was I started having a symptom I hadn't had before in my anxiety, which was, um, derealization and like depersonalization symptoms where suddenly like I'd get anxious and my response would be to feel like the world around me wasn't real. Hmm. And it was really scary. I suddenly was like feeling like I was walking through a dream all the time. And what ended up being helpful was a lot of like grounding exercises. You do things where you're like, you have to like name to your, in your head, like, okay, like I am sitting in a conference room. I have my hands on the table. Like mm-hmm. there are headphones on my, like just naming things you know to be true. And then uh, different medication, upping my medication was helpful too. So you and
1: I have so much to talk about I've, after this. Well, podcast. we're, we're going
2: to trade numbers and we're going to like, yeah, we're going to like.
1: Seriously, I feel like just even looking back in high school, just with like, am I dreamy now? Is what is going on and just...
2: Well, it, t- it turns out it's an anxiety symptom. And like what I was so scared of is I'm like, I'm losing it. But it's, it just turns out it's a way that people deal with anxiety. And that's even what's so much... And we were talking
0: about this a little bit in the last episode too of what is so just sort of complicated and confusing, not only to people living with it, but to people not living with it that you're trying to explain it to. That It's right. such, this gray spectrum, right? Of like, is that a symptom of my anxiety that I'm experiencing or is a symptom of my OCD or is my OCD giving me anxiety or do I have ADD because I'm thinking about and my, my Tourette? My thing is it's always like, so is inter- my,
2: woven. is my OCD, does my OCD have a point? Is the, does the anxiety <laughs> have a point? Is the o- anxiety the thing I should be listening to? I I think it's it's a really exhausting time and it's it's very exhausting living in my head but i i think one thing i'd like to impart and this is part of you know all the work i do as well is it is very worth it and it's it is it sucks really hard but it's really worth it and i say this because i was someone who was very suicidal for a long time because it was like this is too much i don't feel like living in this head anymore yeah. like this if this is going to be my whole life that's exhausting but it's like man like what I've had to do is take on this philosophy that like, it's really remarkable to exist. It is really remarkable to exist, period. And I think that everybody has something they deal with. This is my thing. Um, But there's a lot of really cool stuff to experience out there. And I've gotten to a place where I am capable of experiencing it. I'm not like catatonic in my room anymore like I was in high school. Like I'm, i I have gotten to do so many things I never thought I'd get to do. And I think that's the thing that I hold on to is like, I'm really, really grateful that I did not kill myself. Yeah. And I, Absolutely. yeah. No.
1: And I, I guess my question, cause I don't, I, I feel like I could talk to you about OCD all day, but I know I wish this, what, this could
0: be like a five hour podcast. Like, I I what,
1: so what else uh, was there? And that, I guess, contributed or the OCD contributed to?
2: Well, one of the biggest things is I had this fear of vomiting that was all consuming. And it's hard to convey this to people who haven't experienced um, a phobia through the lens of OCD. It's like, it wasn't just that I was afraid of throwing up. It's that my entire life was dictated by what my fear of throwing up was telling me was okay and what wasn't okay. And I knew intellectually that it wouldn't be the worst thing if I threw up, that people throw up all the time. But it was so goddamn scary to me that I stopped eating because I was like, if you can't eat, you, you don't you can't throw, up. Throw, you can't throw up if you don't eat. Yeah. I was, uh, one thing that I did is I would take my temperature constantly because I thought if I had a fever, so like every hour taking my temperature at least. And this is like pretty much when I could get away with it because my parents would be like, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Like hide the thermometer, but yeah. I would like find it and- have to take my temperature, and... Um, and this is before you
0: were officially diagnosed or were able to put a name. Well, was so this was in your this Your parents kind
1: of know that something okay. was not...
2: I think it was... I mean, okay. it was it would have been really hard to not see something was up with me, and I think that everybody kind of knew, and that was very scary to me, too, because of all the stigma around it, and, you know, I grew up in an area where people are very concerned with their outside appearance, and... Mm-hmm. Um, where is that? I grew up in this. I grew up in Silicon Valley. Okay. Um. So, I think that. Yeah, it was really hard not to see that about me. Yeah. I wasn't in school for a lot of that. I it's there's honestly, and I've like talked about this with therapists and stuff. There are periods of my life I don't remember a lot of. And I think that there might be some coping stuff. Because you think your library. brain just
0: kind of it was a coping mechanism. of just like, I'm going to block this yeah. out.
2: Yeah. Or like stuff where it's like, I haven't wanted to think about it. Maybe yeah. um, just times that were really, really rough. Um, but one of the things I do remember is this like sort of perseverating on um, throwing up. And part of the genesis of You Are Okay was when I wrote about uh, going to exposure therapy, specifically for that, when I was in high school. Um, and... If you've never been to exposure therapy, it's basically exactly what it sounds like. They make you face the thing you're afraid of, and for me, that yeah. was I had to touch garbage cans and doorknobs and and watch videos of people throwing up, and it was hell. It was the worst. Yeah. Oh my
1: god, I, I don't.
2: I, you looked uncomfortable just um. I, and to this and like and you know and I was a teenager and I was like was it uh, helpful. You know, honestly, I don't think I was ready for it. I think it is for a lot of people and statistics show it It is. It's pretty extreme, but like we were really, you know, looking for help. I was, I needed help. Right. Um, I ended up getting a stomach flu and that was sort of what did end that fear. Oh, wow. You're like, I told you guys. Fuck everybody in this room. Basically... But, like, I felt so empowered after that. And then I think it was just a tincture of time and therapy and the right medication. And, boy, did I go through every medication trying to get there Um, that I eventually found myself capable of – I mean, like, it is – you know, sometimes I I get really hard on myself and think I haven't done enough in my life or whatever. But then I'm like, you know, when I was 16, I couldn't leave the – my parents' bed, basically, yeah. I, and I live in New York by myself. I graduated from college. Like, I have had a career. I have a career. I run an organization. Like, I've gotten to do stuff that I, I like by all rights. Like, that like this is just a it's just a minor miracle. So it's very hard for me to not be optimistic. No, and
1: it it you learn from it, and it makes you a better person. I it's still very frustrating to deal with but it's kind of like okay i've gotten to this point so i can get to the next it
0: point. becomes the foundation of who you are i mean yeah. it sort of is like the fire that's you know igniting all the other things you do which one of them yes is project you're okay it so sure let's talk i wish we could talk to you like forever and ever i Ta- can
2: still talk for a little okay, bit talk to <laughs> us
0: and talk to us about then you sort of touched on the genesis of project you're okay so so t- so. Uh, so
2: basically, so one of the big things that helped me was listening to comedians like Maria Bamford say what I had always. She's great. She's amazing. She's,
1: I I almost wish she didn't come before us because I'm like I want to be her.
2: I I see. I'm so glad though because oh, I yeah. think she did so much good for me. Oh, she's and li- great. And listening to her when I was in high school, I was like I have never heard somebody else describe my symptoms before like I've never heard somebody else talk about like it's one thing to sort of hear clinically like well here are some OCD symptoms it's another thing to hear a person go like so the other day I had to clen-, like she does like a whole little song where it's about having to like clench her fists at intervals so that she wouldn't turn gay and I'm like I clench <laughs> my fists like not that, was, the thing, but- thing. Actually, really? that was a turning gay thing but really it was
0: a threat when I, I was diagnosed with tread or my first tick that my parents noticed was I had to squeeze my hands and my toes and my eyes at the same time." And they were like, why are you doing that,
2: Charles? And I was like,
0: why aren't you? You know, I was just <laughs> <Yeah>. like, it's oh. <laughs> but-
2: Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it, so it was like, oh my, like it is so much different and so much more um, uh, tangible when you can hear somebody talking about it who you Absolutely. can relate to. It's so powerful. It's, uh, you know, people and people like Stephen Colbert and Stephen Fry were really, really important to me because they were people I admired uh, professionally and personally who I w- knew had been through significant personal struggles. Um, and I felt like they were able to do it and I can too. And that was one of the big things that sort of pushed me through was like thinking about like, well, I, you know, they can do it and I can too. And, um, that was part of the big drive towards comedy for me as I was like, I've got like comedy really saved me and, uh, feeling like there was still good and laughter in the world was so important to me. And yeah. I think is so important in perpetuity forever. Like, it is and so important.
1: Is it a catharsis kind of Yeah. Thing? Yeah.
2: And, and just sort of, like, being able to laugh at yourself and being able to laugh at the world and it just sort of, it declaws a lot of it. And showing uh, other
0: people that it's okay to laugh with us. Right. Not, right. you know what I mean? Saying, like, look, I can, to a certain extent, some days are hell, but I have to have a sense of humor about what's going on in my brain. Otherwise, right. I'm not going to make it through the day. So... I'm giving you permission to laugh with me about and, what's going on. Like there's a long yeah.
1: period where I would not tell people what I was doing because of my OCD. And I'm like, at a certain point, I went into therapy and I was like, you know what? I feel like this might be entertaining. It's It was rough for me, but it'll be entertaining as a comic.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like, and it's also getting a pot some positive feedback for something right. that's hard. Or you're doing
0: like a disservice. I mean, I feel like... And speaking to what you were saying earlier, Jenny, about like the first time you heard someone articulate your symptoms, I mean, I remember being, it was 10 years ago and I was had just moved to New York and I came in contact with the producer of a HBO documentary called I Have Tourette, but Tourette doesn't have me. And she gave me, I was like, oh, I have Tourette. And she's like, oh, here, watch the documentary. And I just like sat on my dorm room like bed and just sobbed hearing these like five-year-olds talk about what it feels like to have Tourette and I never experienced that before and it was such an insane mind-blowing experience and then that was kind of my aha moment of I'm doing a disservice to everybody else with Tret by not being vocal about it you yeah. know what I mean because it made me uncomfortable to tell other people what was going on in my brain but therefore for years of my life I felt uncomfortable because I hadn't heard other people talk about it. So every time we talk about it, it helps those people, you know. And,
2: you know, I think there are people for whom it is not a possibility to talk about it because, you know, they might be worried about custody of their children or their job or any other number of things. But, you know, for those of us who are in a, you know, a good place, uh, who feel like their lives would not be made significantly worse by that knowledge being right. <laughs> out there. Like there, you know, there's a lot of merit to it. But the biggest thing to me was seeing the response to this article I wrote and seeing that, um, somebody else who I'd known in high school, who I'd known while I was in exposure therapy also had that same fear. And I was like, had I just known that I would have felt so much better. Yeah. And that's sort of where project you're okay. Started. Congealing, Like I had been working in comedy steadily since college and uh, had sort of a, a, a lull in activity after the show. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't writing on a show at that point. Like I was um, between jobs, as it were. And I was having to do a lot of soul searching about like, well, what is it that I want to put into this world? And this sort of ended up, starting to take shape and what started as I'm going to do a video project with a bunch of comedians about, um, you know, their experience of mental illness as a way to try and, uh, make, you know, teens feel better and doing the much more direct thing. What what I wanted to do with comedy was make kids feel like there is a world that you should feel happy and excited to live in no matter what. Um, there's a more direct way for me to do that. So I, um, so I started project. You are okay. Uh, supposed to be just videos, Started realizing this needs to be sustainable in some capacity. There's a lot more that needs to be done here. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, well, who, like, and then it became, I just kind of jumped in. I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was like, okay, so, uh, how does a nonprofit organization form? Uh, who else do I need on board? How do I raise money? Uh, what other, uh, features does the site need? So, uh, that's kind of how it started to materialize. I started working on it about a year ago, launched officially in April. Uh, now we have, um, I mean, I just, I am bowled over every day. There's five people who work for me. There's, um, they're all the most amazing, smart, brave people I know. Uh, we've made like well over, I think, 130, 30 or 40 videos and And then so
0: many amazing people involved yeah
2: gotten i mean like when will wheaton was like yeah i just want i want to do a video and then he was like talking about us at his like other comic-con shows so yeah so then we'll like so will wheaton's video sort of opened this whole new door to me because then suddenly i was being invited to speak at comic-con i flew out to san diego comic-con i did new york comic-con like i've less wesley crusher oh god i never thought ne- <laughs> as a huge trekkie never thought Same the words here. i say star trek was really instrumental for me um i, I my therapist uh really like help kind of used it as a way to help break through to me and like uh That's at, so like funny, at various points, which w- was really nice
1: the first time i was in therapy my therapist looked like Marina Deanna Troy. Wait, really? That's the perfect person for a therapist to look like. Picture that. Oh my god, we have so much to talk about. I'm so ready.
2: (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, but so that was like pretty surreal. It's been so. It's been really cool. A lot of really cool stuff has happened. We've clearly struck a nerve, um, and I think that one of the things we do that a lot of other organizations aren't doing is that uh it's very very personal to all of us involved at the organization and i'm very very public about it and i think that i think that um there's a lot of good information about there but a lot of it feels very clinical it feels very inaccessible to kids who are used to sort of web 2.0 mm-hmm. stuff like uh like one of the like sort of driving principles behind having you are okay exist primarily as a social media movement. And then secondarily as a website with hand curated resources and that sort of thing is that we don't want to make, put the extra step between kids who need reassurance and the reassurance. We want to make sure it can come to them where they live already. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think Basically, I just kind of selfishly set out to make the the organization that I wanted when I was growing up. The yeah. thing that I was like, this is what I think would have been the most helpful to me. And making sure that anyone who comes to our site can see their story reflected to them. Of
0: course, and which make is why it's so sh- successful yeah. because it's coming from that place of, I mean, of course... That's what you you have to create is uh, the things that you would want to be a part of and the things
2: that you know, the things that you're passionate about.
1: People need to know that there are are other people out there.
2: Yeah, and people that they can relate to and people that have, you know, and I think making sure that we include a wide variety of diagnoses as well and let people know, like, we're not afraid of any sort of, we're not. Right. Like, I think people get very, you know, there's a lot of different, Types of mental illness out there. But I think one of the key things in advocacy is that you can't be afraid of it as an right. advocate. You can't right. other anyone else. And I think that's where the taking back of language really helps is like trying to make it a very.
1: Right. There's no inclusive one environment, there, Right. Just-
2: so that's. Yeah, that's, that's really great. it is. That's- Thank you so much. So That's my day job now, which is <laughs> that's so pretty incredible. surreal. Is yeah. that just mind blowing to you every day to wake up and think that this is? It's weird to like, good to do. Here, like so, one of the weird things is so I went to California last week to visit my family, um, and I and meanwhile, Project You're Okay was filming a bunch of videos and like they had a bunch of stuff going on and I was like oh, this is a thing that can run without me now. Like I built something up that I don't need to be there for. Yeah. Okay. Like that's
0: yeah.
2: really weird. Like it's super weird you to- You have people working for you. Yeah. It's weird to walk You're into like my an office. Adult. And, You're like a real person. Practically, yeah. <laughs> that's also weird. I mean, none of this, just none of this is what I expected to be doing, but it was a very happy accident that I fell into it. Yeah,
1: That's great. That's, you know, to be able to enjoy and know that, what you're doing is something that really helps.
2: Yeah. And the response that I get is very heartening and overwhelming and, and really wonderful. And I feel really, really lucky um, to get to do it. And And yeah, you know, when the, when the news in the world is as bad as it is and when, when the life can feel as hard as it is, it's good to kind of stop and take stock and be like, man, but like, how lucky am I as an individual? And like, if this is all I ever get to do, like that would be enough. So that's, that's a, that's sort of my, yeah. I think out of all the pain I've experienced has come a lot of hard-earned optimism and like faith in myself. I think I have a, I have a tremendous amount of faith in myself that whatever happens, I will deal with because I've dealt with it before.
1: As you should. And that, people sh- should aspire to get to.
2: And on that note, should we play a
0: very frivolous game? Yes! <laughs> I'm so excited. I kind of want to play the one we played last week, Evan. Can I'm we sure. do it? It, just, it? This is called... This is just designed to know a little bit more about you, Jenny. Cool. Um, I'm switch back into like fun mode. You've always been in fun mode. You've been oh, in fun good, mode the really? whole time. You are fantastic. Um, All beautifully spoken. <laughs> this game is called... How does that make you feel? Oh God! And just as though we're your therapist, Jenny. Uh huh. We're going to read you a handful of scenarios. Great. And you just tell us how does it make you feel.
2: Great. I'm excited. Scenario
0: number one: You're out of milk.
2: How does that make you feel? Um, I I think I well I'm lactose intolerant. Okay, so I think I'd probably be relieved. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've been waiting for that response. Yeah, That's yeah.
0: Um, your ex is at your front door. How does that make you feel? Terrified.
2: <gasps> it depends which ex. It, there are some exes where I'd be like, "Oh, come on in, we're still friends." Sure. And like, let's hang out. There are some exes where I would call the police. What's That's the What's the percentage? And also the a perce- scary. But. The percentage is the vast majority is. Totally cool. Sure, there's maybe come on in, have a drink. One that things were not like s- s- ah, there it was. There's yeah, always not one. fun. There's yeah. one where there's it's always like one. there's one where it's like how did you find me? Why? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's yeah. <laughs> but everybody else, like even the ones who I'm like, yeah, you weren't a super good boyfriend. Like I'd be like, oh, like you're, I, I don't right, feel like I'm not safe. mad at you. Like yeah, I'm not. We mad can at have you. a glass of.
0: Almond milk together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about there are eleven cats in your closet and you have no idea where they came from? How
2: does that make you feel? Sneezy. I'm allergic to <laughs> cats. There's,
1: there
2: is. I'm probably allergic or enough.
1: just afraid of cats. I, <laughs> <They're very different.
2: laughs> I would probably be like really sty like stoked because like oh, there's so many kittens. But I'd also be like, where'd they come from? And also, I'd be like, I need to get out of here because my eyes are watering. <laughs> But I'd like have I have a bunch of friends who are big cat lovers, and they'd all come and take care of them.
0: So there, there you go. You could just distribute the ki- kittens. Very that's plan. amongst your friends. <laughs> it could be a kitten party. Like instead of a key party, it's a kitten party. And or you whoever just take has the kitten, kitten has
2: to swing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Everyone
0: sleeps with someone else, and then you take a kitten home with them. That sounds like an amazing party, <laughs> right? I'm gonna throw that party we next just week. Everyone's invited. <laughs> Evan, do you have any? I'm putting Evan on the spot. I don't know. Any scenarios come to mind? It could be literally anything.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh, I don't, I guess I don't think so, but uh, I will say (laughs) uh, because I have had friends who do and don't get the OCD, like, how, how do you feel like trying to explain it to your friends?
2: Um, most of my friends, and at this point, like, I've really decided, like, well, fuck it, everyone knows now. Uh, so at this point, it's actually much better. I think I, this is not stuff I would have talked about at all, like, a couple years ago. Because I think, and even now, there are things that are easier to talk about. It is a lot easier for me to talk about anxiety and panic attacks than about intrusive thoughts. And you guys could, like, see that play out now. Like, and I'm someone who's really anxious, but I'm still like... I hear this out loud and I'm like, I am scared of how this sounds to people. So Amen.
0: it's that yeah. part.
2: That's really hard. There are things that are easier and things that are harder, but I think the important part of that is like, none of it's bad. None of it makes me a bad person Right, and, right. and anybody else who has it, like I would never judge anybody for saying this stuff to me, you know? so. Yeah. Um, That's a great way to look yeah. at it
1: because you don't, you know, you're not, these are not things that make you a bad person. They're just, and this me, may, maybe projecting. But no, this is where
0: you're not a bad you think person. Of th- I mean.
1: You think of things, but that doesn't, you know, everybody has stuff and this is our stuff.
2: Well, one of the things that OCD sort of tries to get you to forget is that thoughts are just thoughts. Right. And that no thought has to be acted on, no thought has to be expressed. Right. Like, right. Um, one of the things that OCD likes to trick you in is that thoughts are real and that whatever thought you have, that's the real thought, so.
1: I'll say this. Um, I have lived with uh, two partners, uh, not at the same time, and, no, it's, <laughs> and I feel like it's kind of the growth for me, but also the compliment for them. Like, if you tell me the stove is off, I will believe you and I will go to sleep. And I mean is that something that comes up Oh, right? I get
2: that. Yeah. Like I think there are people who I trust more than I trust my own brain sometimes and I think I need to hear it from them. And you know that's a good it's, hard. Play, yeah.
1: it's it's not easy to say like well, I even this person who I'm in love with, intimate with, but you know maybe like are they just feeding me lip service or whatever but it's like no okay I trust that you've checked and
2: yeah that yeah. I think I would trust sometimes I put more trust in other people than in myself because like my brain has been known to trick me but I have been very lucky in that I've known a lot of really wonderful people and like Who will not double I think, check yeah it. and I think have some like pretty good, I have a pretty good sense about people too. I think I've, I'm really, really lucky. I've surrounded myself with a lot of really wonderful, um, people. And like, I think, yeah, one, like, again, one of the things about Gabe that's really great is that our anxiety lives in different places. So I'll listen to him about his, because when he gets anxious about something, I can hear like, oh, this is why you shouldn't worry about that. And I try to remember that that's probably what my anxiety sounds like to him. Sure. sure. And sometimes just telling your anxiety out loud to someone can be so helpful because yeah. it once you start saying it out loud, it can start to sound silly. Right. Right. You're seeing it through someone else's I'm perception.
1: Out loud. Okay. What?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. but like the logic, a lot of the time isn't isn't there. Right. It's hard. Like it's not easy to talk about. It's but I think that it's been very therapeutic for me to have to be this open about it, uh, through you are okay. And to hear reflected back to me, the good it's done for other people. Cause even if they don't have OCD, I think it's very helpful to have someone who's just really open about, um, you know, things that have been really difficult, but also like, I also get to live a very cool life. Like I feel really lucky. I get to do a lot of really, really cool stuff. And it doesn't mean everything's always good. And I think that's, I think that it's really easy to create a persona for yourself on social media, um, especially where, and that's like one of the kind of downsides to the internet. Everyone can look the way they want things to look. Sure. And I think that, you know, it's, I try to be very clear about the fact that like, look, this is how great this thing looks right now. Right. But man, you'll never guess what a bad day that was. Or like, Right. It's, you know,
1: it's a, uh self-acknowledging perspective and
2: yeah Yeah, i think that's and i think that's an important um perspective to bring to sort of like the bigger conversation around mental illness is what it looks like on a day-to-day basis and not just what it looks like when it gets to sort of like emergency or clinical uh, levels because that's not always what it looks like
0: that's a really good point the low-level day-to-day Jenny, thank you so much for being so honest and so candid with us. Oh, that's what I do. Oh, we're gonna talk. (laughs) Don't worry, Evan. We'll all talk. Jenny, I'm gonna go to download. I'm going to put a bug in that conversation. (laughs) You're going to have a bug in your wine glass and we're going to
2: post it. Just kidding. We both automatically start looking at them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How much alcohol is enough to clean the bug? Oh,
2: see, I get very paranoid and I'm really convinced a lot of the time that no matter what it is, somebody has drugged it. And not like with roofies, but I don't want anybody to put a hallucinogen in something because. Wait, really?
1: Oh my God! Yes.
2: Because it's like my the entire least, life. Because it's the least in control <laughs> you can be, and it's like that's I know that one time I gave you hallucinogens, Evan. Get over <laughs> it. <laughs> but it's like but I, I know oh that somebody God. didn't open like my can of Coke and then put a LSD in it and then reseal it up.
1: Oh but like, God. how we, do I know? We have so much. Oh. To talk about. <laughs> I have literally part of my OCD has been my paralyzing fear of acid.
2: Me too, me too. Oh Wait, God. we have to talk okay. about this. You don't even understand. <laughs> this I, is a, I, and like, people will tell me like stories about like getting drugged and stuff, and I'll be like, this is, you don't understand. Like, I.
1: No, all that crazy stuff in grade school where they're like, well, you know, you, all the badass and trips and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, I can never leave my dream.
2: Oh my, okay. Sometimes people like to (laughs) warn you about, like, I think it's funny because the things people warn you about as a kid, like, they never reach the kids that you're supposed to be reaching, but they reach the kids like us, where it's like, I wasn't going to do that before, but you guys are scared of that. And like, one (laughs) of the things was like, well, don't take like candy from strangers because they could put LSD in it. Like, like, they could do what?
1: Oh my, I have spent so much time on Snoop's. Because Dude, <laughs> me too. Oh my God. I got okay. convinced the
2: other night. I was in a bar in San Francisco and we got, my friend and I, we got like a cheese plate and it had like these almonds in it and one of the almonds tasted really bitter and I got really convinced that that was because it had been soaking in acid and I was like really paranoid because I was like, I know it's going to take a little while to kick in. So should I just wait here? It was awful. It was fine. It obviously wasn't. Nobody drugs people through bar almonds. So what you guys are
0: saying is you don't want to do acid with me.
2: No, no, sorry.
0: For Christmas, no. for Christmas. We
2: wouldn't be fun.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. My first roommate in college sold acid out of our room, and I didn't want to touch anything. Oh, my God, into, Evan. In, until I left. Until I transferred to another room. Oh, my. Okay. We have a lot to we talk about. We have a about. lot
0: Jenny, to talk about. Jenny, we should have you on again. <laughs> I and would love yes. to. And we'll all take LSD, and we'll <laughs> see you no. then. Yeah Bye! I'm Jenny Jaffe and check out Project You Are Okay. Thanks for tuning in. Everyone's great. Let's keep drinking. Yes. See you next week. Bye!
2: My name's Taylor. My name's Sarah we like to talk about uncomfortable, unchartered, and unwanted social interactions. Mainly between men and women. And we like to do it with a man in the room. And we like to have a woman start off by telling a story. This is starting to sound like a weird sexual thing, but it's really just a podcast. Called Did That Just Happen? And it's hosted by us. Taylor and Sarah. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.